Welcome to the Natural Wisdom Podcast. I'm Christine Backus. Today is December 11th, and we're meeting just at the eve of the new moon in Sagittarius. And I'm really excited to have a guest today, Dr. Judy Safrier. Hi, Judy. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for inviting me. I will give Judy a more proper introduction in a moment, but we're here primarily to talk about a, a cool book that she's written, um, and we'll see where that conversation takes us. So I do want to make a quick announcement, and then I'll come back to this at the end, and that is that we're getting very close to the December solstice, the Capricorn solstice, when the sun um, reaches its southernmost point in its journeys and then begins to come back towards those of us in the Northern Hemisphere. It's one of my favorite days of the year. And one of my favorite events of the year is my online solstice retreat. And so I will put a link to that here and I'll tell you a little bit more about it at the end. But what I wanna do first is um, introduce Judy and I'm gonna cheat a little bit and go find my notes for this um, because I think what's exciting to me about this conversation today with you, Judy, is that it, it's, it's fun to meet people and work with people who work on so many dimensions, and that is definitely you. And so let me just um, say a couple words, what I know about you, and then um, you can fill in the things I miss, and then we'll get started. Maybe we'll start by talking a little bit about the new moon. But Judy is, um, she's on the board of the Harvard Medical School. I think I have that right. She's an adult and child. On the faculty. On the faculty. On the faculty. Sorry. Thank you. That's what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> on the faculty of the Harvard Medical School. She's an adult and child psychiatrist and psychoanalyst in Boston. She's been practicing for over 30 years. Board certified. I love, I'm going to just read from the, the, your your book jacket for a moment because there's some really fun things in here and I won't read the whole thing, but board certified, thoroughly trained in the conventional allopathic approach to psychiatric care, but no longer endorses it. And in fact, believes that it causes harm. And then uh, what I want to say too, is that besides this very broad approach that you take uh, within the medical system, there's also so much in terms of archetypal psychology and trauma work, shamanism, energy healing, astrology, flower essence therapy, uh, the tarot. And then you, this ends with your commitment to sacred activism. And it's just a, a really lovely sort of overview of so much that is part of you and how you work. And I wonder, did I leave anything out? Let me just ask you that in terms of your introduction. No, I think that um, that about sums it up. I mean, I think, uh, I don't know if I put it in there that I um, have an expertise in treating chronic complex medical conditions, Yes, which is often why people end up consulting me um, that present psychiatrically. But then I don't take a conventionally psychiatric approach to it. Yeah, well... I'm sure we'll get into this as we go through, but one of the things that struck me as I read through your book is it's so rare to find somebody who talks about people, body, mind, heart, soul, right? That we are whole human beings. And that's really what's unique about your approach. Yes, I think that's that's true. Yeah, so let me just say too, that I, I wanna um, mention the book now. Um, because I also, I really love the title. I'm trying to get to that quickly. Um, Judy, you're you're just about to, well, I guess it's, it's published in January 24th. Is that correct? Coming up this January? January 2024, but on January 2nd, it will be published. January 2nd. And the title of the book is Sacred Psychiatry. And it's, sorry, I have to get to the right screen. Um, and the subtitle is Bridging the Personal and Transpersonal to Transform Health and Consciousness. And again, it brings us into that sort of multidimensional approach and what's, in my mind, missing in today's, most of today's medical world. 
And right, even yeah. in our secular society period, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So in fact, I'm going to digress a little to the Sagittarius new moon because it seems very appropriate to be talking about this in Sagittarius season, right? Sagittarius, the archer who is talking, who whose mission is to go big and to grow and to really expand our understanding of the world, expand our belief system. And this book seems to really do that to me. Yeah, I think it does have a Sagittarian flavor, you know, the centaur, half man or half human, half animal, as is Chiron. Yeah. And, and it, you shot the arrow is what it feels like to me. Mm -hmm. And I'm, my ascendant is in Sagittarius. Mm. So I, I like that kind of energy that kind of exploration and adventure and thinking big and outside the box. Yeah. And, uh, and, and the other thing I'll say about this new moon, and maybe you have some thoughts about it is that there is a very expansive kind of energy with this Jupiter, the ruler is going retrograde, but it's also it's opposite Venus. And then the new moon itself is squaring Neptune and all of those those signatures to me seem like it's time to get big and kind of like break out of our box. Right. It's very imaginative and creative and uh, a lot of kind of positive energy with it. Yeah. Yeah. Hope for the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which, hopeful. Which is what I think we all, um, you know, one of the things I think about the current situation of Saturn and Pisces is that, we really need to dream in the future we want. Mm -hmm. And I see your book is doing that. Yeah. Um, Caroline Casey has some kind of quote about imagination lays down the, the trap. And, then, and so it's like Saturn is manifests it. You know, yeah. so in Pisces, that combination of creative visualization of dreaming what we want to bring into being. Yeah, it, it, you know, there's that old saying, if you can dream it, you can do it. And I was flipping that on its head the other day, thinking if you don't dream it, how could you possibly do it? Right. Yeah. So speaking of dreaming and doing, that seems to me uh, kind of what creating a book is right having a big vision for something and having a big um, dream and then putting it into practice and I know you told me that you worked on this book over a long period of time but I wonder if you could speak to even the timing of finishing and getting it done and sort of just like getting it out there because I imagine that there's there's something going on in your life or even in your chart that says it's time do it now yeah, there's a lot going on in my chart that says it's time to do it, do it now. Like um, my progressed sun crossing my ascendant mm. and um, my Sag ascendant and um, my progressed Mars, which was for my entire lifetime in Pisces up until like a year ago when it went into Aries. Oh, wow. So both of those to me seem very significant, but you know, I, I do believe that, like, I, I struggled to bring this book to life for quite a while and kept needing to rework it and not being happy with it. And um, it just felt like at one point it finally came together and it had to do with divine timing. And it was just time then. Things had gestated long enough and I was able to do it. Well, it's interesting what you say about Mars moving from Pisces to Aries and your progress chart. And for the people who aren't astro geeky, it's just a timing technique that shows us what's unfolding from within. And Mars moving into Aries, of course, moving into its own sign where it can express freely. And one of the, the words that I know we talked about in our pre-meeting and that I keep thinking about is courage, 
because in your field, in your world, it must take um, a pretty good dose of courage to put something out that essentially breaks the molds and takes on a system. And, and I wonder if you could talk about that. Well, sometimes I think I'm in denial about it because people say that to me a lot and I think, wow, yeah, I guess it really is. Um, I, I mean, I've been sort of out of the closet as an astrologer for quite a while. And I mean, that is in a way the most far out thing, you know, to um, be trained in astrology and to feel as though it's an extremely valuable way of understanding the world and tool for uh, knowledge and wisdom. Um, so in some ways that, um, like you've already kind of crossed a taboo at that point. Yeah. Um, but I mean, to really come out and straight up say that I think the way that psychiatry is practiced conventionally is harmful. That's like, you know, <laughs> making a, um, very critical statement about our system, but I, I believe it. You know, like I don't think that the way that medicine is practiced conventionally is helpful to, I mean, it, there's certain times that it's invaluable. Like Western medicine is unparalleled for treating trauma, you know, acute trauma for stabilizing a person who's in sepsis or, you know, all of these amazing surgeries with, you know, joint replacements or cataracts. But when it comes to chronic conditions and when it comes to psychiatric conditions, just identifying symptoms and following an algorithm to prescribe pharmaceuticals, I do not think is the most helpful approach at all. And in fact, can be often harmful. Um, there's so many things that can be done preventatively um, before it would come to thinking about a prescription. So many things that um, have to do with supporting a person with nutrition, with lifestyle, with movement, with spiritual practice, um, with, you know, examining their relationships, understanding their psychology and family of origin issues. There's just so many things that, um, for me, go before prescribing a pharmaceutical. But sometimes people are so um, are so depressed or so um, in such a bad state that they really aren't able to do what they need to do for themselves in order to feel better. So it becomes kind of a chicken and an egg thing. So in that situation, you know, I cannot really help people if they are not able to be like a co-creative partner with me. Right. Because right. it requires quite a bit of a person to um, take a holistic approach to their health. Right. Yeah, that is something, you know, I did a little bit of uh, Ayurvedic lifestyle practice for a while. And that was a very difficult realization for me is that not everybody is going to want to and in, you know, in some ways be capable of making the lifestyle shifts that sync them up and harmonize them with themselves and nature. And that's okay, right? They they have to go their own way. And it took me a long time to get to that point. Right. You know, like the book is not about um, ketamine-assisted psychotherapy, which is something that I have newly begun to offer in my practice. Um, I had already finished the book by the time I had um, taken the training. Um, but that has allowed me sometimes to be able to help people feel less depressed enough to do the kind of um, work that you need to do in order to feel better, but only if they get less depressed first. Right, right, right. Well, you know, one of the things that, you know, looking, I've got your, the uh, table of contents up in front of me. And I think, you know, this all kind of goes to this, that your first chapter, I love the title of your first chapter, which is reclaiming a multidimensional way of being in the world. And in that chapter, you really talk about the separation, not just between the soul and the body, the mind and the body that we, we see, but just our separation with nature, our separation between spirit and matter. 
And then you go into a lot more um, detail about that. And I think, can't remember, I think that's also the chapter where you talk about spiritual practices, right? I mean, you right. have- That's really the heart of the book. That is the heart of the book, the first chapter. It's the longest chapter, you know, because there's so many ways that we can cultivate um, a sense of connection with um, nature, with the world, with each other, with a sense of communion. Um, but people don't have a clue. Some people don't have a clue about how to go about that. You know, right. they may have been raised in a family that was, you know, proclaimed themselves as Catholic or Jewish or whatever religion, but felt alienated from that practice, but have no idea then without that, like, how do they have like a, a spiritually rich life? And that chapter has a lot of ideas about different kinds of practices that can be done in order to create that foundation and expand that aspect of oneself. Yeah, it is. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? We live in a time, and maybe we have for a couple of thousand years now, where spiritual practice has been made. Well, actually, everything has been made. There's a right way and a wrong way to do it. And you need to find some expert to tell you what to do and to teach you how to do it. And, and we're so focused on outside authority that we forget that we know how to do these things if we just would trust ourselves. Yeah, I think that's I think that's really true. And um, and, you know, maybe if if a person was introduced to ideas that they could play with or try out, you know, um, that they would find that they had capacities that they would surprise them. Yes, that's a good way. Yeah. Well, and of course, that's uh, one of the things I found so interesting about your book, too, is it's such a blend. I mean, there is sort of the kind of the commentary and the philosophy and trying to break down some of the, um, what would I call them, like, the deceptions that we were, we were brought up under, but it's also very practical. There's so much practical advice and that whole long list of spiritual practices. And then you talk about food um, and you talk about relationships. There's so much in here. It's, it's interesting that you took such a practical approach because it's, I admire it because there's it, um, it, to me, and I don't know what your publisher says, to me, it doesn't fit into one genre. No, it doesn't really. It's not really an astrology book, even though there's a lot of astrology in it, you know, yeah. but it's, and it's not really a functional medicine book, even though functional medicine is a very important part of that chapter on chronic mysterious illness. You know, it's, um, no, it, it it is not easily categorizable. Mm -mm. Yeah, and, and it has so much wisdom. It has your experience and your knowledge. It has your training. Um, and then it has, and I noticed you quote many of your teachers and you quote many other sources too. So what, what would you, um, can you sort of list the top three or four influences that, that brought you to where you are to be able to write a book like this and have a practice that you do? Well, um, in terms of treating environmentally acquired illness and the functional medicine, chronic mysterious illness piece, um, my mentor, Neil Nathan, who um, is really an amazing doctor, um, he wrote a book called Toxic that is incredibly helpful to people. It's meant for the layperson and describes all kinds of conditions and how to treat them. Um, and he's been a big influence on the way that I practice. I would say my astrology teachers, Stephen Forrest and Maurice Fernandez, um, very, very, very important. Um, and then all like not, not one particular person, but just all the training in shamanism that I've done, um, through the Foundation for Shamanic Studies and just various kinds of courses and exposures and readings and practices that have been very 
formative. And you talked too about some of the personal experiences that got you into, um, you know, going into that, th those directions. Can you just mention what was, was there a turning point, like a single turning point in your life? Or was it, uh, you know, some people have that moment when a program or a teacher or somebody sort of unlocks something for them. And others, it's more of an evolutionary journey. What would you say, which is the truth for you? I'm going to answer that, but I, I just really noticed when I made that list that I didn't mention my psychoanalytic training, which was huge. I mean, it was like, it was so long and so extensive and so expensive and took so many years and so much effort. And I mean, that has really informed like the way that I think about things and the way that I practice. Um, and yet it's funny that that didn't come to the top of my mind because there's so many ways in which I um, don't feel aligned with it in terms of the way in which it leaves out the spiritual. And I think that was why I didn't mention it. You know, like all those other things, I still do the way that I was trained in them. That is an interesting point because I, I think it seems to me there's a process of unlearning, right? You get the big foundation and there's knowledge that's really useful, but there's also a process of sort of unlearning a whole layer of it that's not useful and that doesn't come, it doesn't fit with the world, mm -hmm. right? It only fits with that mechanistic layer of the world. Right. You know, like, um, like in psychoanalysis, like we would be encouraged to um, analyze what is like a person's conflict about expressing their aggression, but like never ask like, what is their conflict about connecting with oneness? Mm. You know, it's mm -hmm. just interesting. It's interesting. But I, I'll, I'll go back to answer the question that you asked me. Um, I don't think there was like any particular moment, but uh, there was a three-month period where uh, there was just a whole series of personal losses that, you know, came in very short order with the death of both my parents within three months of each other and the end of my marriage to the father of my three kids. And the kids were young. Um, and so I was... Um, know very stressed and uh i consulted an astrologer for the first time and um that led me to um go back to see her repeatedly because i was so fascinated by um what she had to say to me and how she could understand so much about me through um looking at these symbols on a piece of paper and having my birth time and I just, I mean, I think I was probably an astrologer in a past life. I mean, it feels so important and deeply meaningful to me. Um, but that then after, you know, a few years of going back to see her to look at the charts of everybody in my life, um, I decided to learn to um, read charts myself and began a course of study with Stephen Forrest and then eventually Maurice Fernandez. And that somehow coincided with an opening up my perspective and adding all kinds of holistic modalities to what I was already doing, which was like being a pretty conventional psychoanalyst, psychotherapist, psychoanalyst. I was never much into prescribing medicines, though I did do that. But um, that is, it was those losses and then discovering astrology that catalyze something it was my chiron return okay you know i was um 40 almost 49 yeah that's i was going to ask you what uh, what was a major astro transit and that makes some sense because that's the bridge right and in fact it's your it's not only the the subtitle of your book but you also have it on your website that that's you know that you think of yourself as the bridge and what you do as a bridge and, and so the constellation on the cover of the book is chiron Oh, is that okay? Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't pick that up. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. 
-hmm. Yeah, and the Chiron is that bridge, right, between the the transpersonal, the the bigger world out there, and our our Earth earthly world. Right, the orbit goes between um, Saturn and Uranus. Yeah, um, the boundary of the three D, what is known and measurable, and the transpersonal, the known and the unknown. Yeah. And it is, uh, I, I found it, I also find it kind of interesting that astrology was sort of your gateway. Gateway drug. Yeah, gateway drug, exactly. <laughs> gateway woo thing, right? Because yeah, yeah. because it is like, I, I, I mean, I, it does seem like once you understand that there's an invisible world that's just as real as what, you know, our five, our five senses can, can touch, see, feel you know and that everything is so connected right yeah, yeah. and it's uh, you know i i have a at least one well i think i have a couple of family members that live in the sort of limited 3d world and i think how boring <laughs> boring and as you have seen in your practice how um destructive mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it you know like i think without well certainly without faith but without practices that help us to feel expansive and um which connect us to the capacity to ask for guidance and i think that the world is can feel very scary now i mean not that it hasn't felt scary before, but even more now. I mean, things are accelerating at such a intense pace and uh, things are changing in such a rapid way that one really needs to have practices that um, fortify one and help one feel resilient and um, courageous. Yeah, and I also have the sense that if you don't have a context, a larger context for what you read in the newspaper, for instance, mm -hmm. then how do you how do you navigate, right? If if all you did was read the newspapers, and again, I know people like this that there that there's a, there's like a desperation to fix things that of course we can't, right? I mean, we can't. We can we can take the steps that what that are ours to take, but we're not going to fix what's out there that we're not even anywhere near right and i think most people don't even think that they can fix things they just feel despairing yeah the hopelessness yeah mm -hmm. yeah and uh, you know one of the things uh, too about the book that i really in appreciated was that you did go into the landscape you know what's the current astrology landscape what's the what are we dealing with and you talked you know, you talked about what I call this time of transition, and I don't think there's anybody that can't see that the old way is breaking down, collapsing, collapsing, integrating. Yep. Well, very. There's a lot of Pluto words we could use, right? Right. Right. In Capricorn, you know, yeah. the their hierarchy, the structures, the traditional way of doing things. It's all changing, and you know. Capricorn is an earth sign and like the 3D measurable earthly reality is being replaced by Aquarius and um, like the that conjunction between Jupiter and Saturn and 2020, you know, is like this transition from 800 years of that conjunction occurring in earth signs and now 800 years of them occurring in air signs we're in this quantum non uh, indeterminate uh, time where uh, intuition is more powerful thoughts are more powerful um, words are more powerful words um, just the amazing um kind of mind-blowing advances in technology um yeah I, th I mean things are changing in such a way that I think 
it boggles the imagination to even know what it's going to look like in short order. Yeah, I think, yeah, one of the, um, one of the questions I've been asking is how do you, how do you make yourself available for something you can't even imagine? Right. And, and that could, because that's the world we're stepping into is, is a world that we can't imagine, or, you know, some people have tried, but there's been a lot more dystopian imagination than utopian imagination. And I think, again, that's why I think it's so important. Like it, it, this, you know, new moon portal and the solstice portal is really to be imagining the future that we want. Right. 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 Well, I like the idea of, um, like the polarity of Aquarius um, as Leo and um, like somehow something that's heart-centered and courageous and about love and um, about warmth and generativity and about the children and about caring about the future, about the future that they're going to have. Yeah, which that, that reminds me of, you know, in your, I think it was in your introduction, you talked about the white lions. Yeah. Can you, can you just tell us a kind of a short version of that white lion, like how, what it means to you, what it is, the story of that, because that's, yeah, it seems perfect for. Yeah. So um, in, I think it was 2013, I went with Maurice Fernandez, who I was studying astrology with on this spiritual journey uh, in support of conservation to Timbavati in South Africa. And Timbavati means the place where the star lions fell down from the stars or where the lions fell down from the stars. And um, there's a Shangan legend, an African legend that... Um, says that there used to be white lions. They came when um, human beings were in distress and in trouble, I think during the ice age, and they taught them how to hunt and to survive. And then when things were okay again, they left and that they would only return when um, human beings were in trouble again. Mm -hmm. And so then in the thirties, they started to be born again. And um, now there's there's a number of them, and um, there's uh, there was a shaman named Credo Mutua who um, said that the legend of the lions is that either human beings will, you know, finally recognize uh, the primacy of nature and our need to. Um, honor and respect nature or that we're going to go extinct. And um, that seems to me absolutely true. And so when we visited these white lions and um, we would go out in the Jeep and at sunrise and at sunset and um, just sit there and kind of commune with them. And uh, at one point the um, there was a male white lion who sat by the jeep and roared and roared and roared and it was just so profound to listen to that roaring and it it felt like again this message about um that we need to wake up and we need to be in right relationship with the natural world um and so the white lions have continued to be a guide for me and like when I feel like a need of courage or um, a need of strength or protection or like somehow coming from my heart, opening up my heart, I'll, I'll call upon them. And um, I have a picture of a white lion in back of me. And um, I just, it's just one of my animal guides. Yeah, um, sorry, I'm just writing a couple of notes about that because, it, you know, that's not the only culture, of course, that talks about it, although the white lions are, it's a very powerful talisman, an image to me. Um, and I wonder, you know, sometimes I think, 
you know, there's a lot of talk about the specific environmental degradation and the things that we've done as humans and overdone, really. And there's not agreement, right? On Sometimes there's not agreement on what they are. There's certainly not agreement on the solutions. And sometimes I think the real root of the solution is exactly what you talked about, sort of that reverence. If we would just begin to have reverence for nature and... I think you also talk about animism, right, in your book and, and that understanding. And it's not a belief, right? It, it's not just a, I believe this. It's an actual felt experience and understanding that everything is alive and everything has consciousness and everything is on equal footing with us. And if we would just behave that way. Right. We would behave very differently. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love that you had a, a lion actually roaring at you. <laughs> that must have been something. It was, it was. Also, on that trip, this another animal encounter. We were in Kruger National Park, and a big elephant crossed the road. And you're right in front of the car, and leaned down and put his or her eye right up to the windshield and it was so huge it was just like oh my gosh just very amazing yeah there's something about that you know those real encounters with the wild i actually had two you know i live in montana and we have mountain lions and i i didn't see a lot this year but i see them often and i had two of them come through my yard I think it was two years ago, 20 minutes after the Leo new moon. Oh. It was amazing. And one of them was a juvenile, a youngster, because he wasn't smart enough to realize he shouldn't be hanging around, you know, and looking at me. And he sat down and just looked at me and then looked at off, looked off to the side and looked at me for a while. And it was, it's that sort of, um, it's the connection. And you said it earlier, you said it at the beginning of our talk, you know, that finding connection and communion. Mm -hmm. and, and that's, uh, that's what's missing so often. And you can, you know, you could commune with Venus and the sky right now, you can communicate, commune with the moon when it comes back. You, you could probably commune with Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, but you can't do it visually, you have to do it in a, in a more intuitive level. Yeah. And, and I think, I just wonder if we just did that. Right, right. I mean, there's a certain feeling, you know, that you have when you commune, you know, like, I feel like there's like this sort of dropping in, like it just, there's like this physiological state that yeah. comes over when I feel in connection with. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not um, it's not magic, and you don't need a lot of training for it. You don't need any training for it. You don't need any special. Just need to do it. You just, yeah. you know, you need to do like, it. There's so many things that if you just do them, like even if it feels kind of silly to begin with, it becomes like more familiar. Like a lot of times, I think learning is um, just getting used to something. Yeah. Yeah, and approaching it with curiosity. What happens if I touch this tree? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and that is it's something that we. I know I'm getting a little philosophical, but it it to me it's one of the things that we've really lost, is that open curiosity. Speaking of Leo, like of of the child, right? Mm -hmm. Who mm -hmm. everything is new and it's all a state of wonder, and yeah. he, touch a tree what does it feel like what does it do you know can i talk to it and that is that, you know that is amazing when you're around children and they have this delight and joy and things that you forget to recognize as amazing yeah it, it reminds me of um i can't remember who who it was the zen the zen um you know the zen master who said um in the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities. And in the expert's minds, there are few. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so back to, you know, kind of the book and, and what- It's interesting. Can I say something parallel to that? Oh, please. Yeah. I remember in my training being very surprised 
when one of my teachers said that like people who are um, like less healthy in terms of their mental state have less repertoire and range than somebody who is in better shape, you know, so that like a person who is in quotation marks crazy, you know, is more locked into something than like the healthiest person is able to be in a way the least predictable. Yeah. And that strikes me as more resilient. Yeah. You're not always doing the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I, now I have to run with that a little bit because that feels very true to me. The people that are the most anxious, the most worried, the most, you know, whatever word you would ascribe to them, the people in my experience that seem to have the hardest time with what's going on seem to also have the most rigid opinions about how things should be or who's right and who's wrong. Mm -hmm. When things need to be done in a certain way. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I see it in the way, um, you know, when I read the people that have all the solutions for the world and the people that are in power that say that we all need to do this and it, well, how can you possibly say that to a planet of however many billions of people we have that everybody should do it the same way or think the same way or feel the same way? And it's right. one of my, I think it's one of my big um, disappointments maybe with the new age, you know, in this, a lot of the spiritual world is everybody thinks, well, if everybody just woke up, we would all want the same thing. We would all have the same solutions. Well, no, it's mm -hmm. these incredible diverse beings. We wouldn't. Hopefully yeah. we would be able to discuss them better. Yeah. And maybe come to some kind of consensus and work together. Yeah. 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 That's a, that's a, I love that observation and what your teachers said. And I think do you think that that was the way you were taught, though, with that sense of openness? I, I had such wonderful training. I really did. I really did. It was very different than it is today. But I think back on, you know, just the kind of wisdom and experience of many of my psychiatrist teachers, like some of them who are like no longer alive, you know, have become like guides for me just because like they had so much understanding of people, you know, it was, it was really, um, I, I, I feel like super blessed with the training that I had as a psychiatrist. That's great. Yeah, yeah that's great. That uh, kind of stuff, like saying something like that, you know, or I remember another thing, like one teacher said, I always think of this another, I might've even put this in the book. The marriage between a narcissist and a masochist is a marriage made in heaven because the narcissist thinks that they deserve everything and the masochist thinks they deserve nothing. You did. You did. And then I think you chose a different word for than masochist. <laughs> right. Because that's like, I don't, I don't like that word. It's sort of victim blaming, but. <laughs> yeah. 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 But those uh, kind of aphorisms, you know, like they stick with you. They do. They do. I was trying to think of another one from the book because I know I highlighted a few, but it's not coming to me right Here's now. Here's another one that came to me. Um, one teacher said, if if you, if I, I think I was telling him that the patient was anxious and he said, is she anxious or is she excited? They're very close cousins, you know, like the, the relationship between anxiety and excitement. Like, you know, like sometimes when people are excited, they can't tolerate that. They don't think that that's okay. So they mistake it for anxiety. Yeah. Cause they both, they do have sort of a similar energetic feel, don't they? They're very active states, energetically yeah. active state. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's great. I actually heard uh, the first time I heard something similar was in a, uh, a class on public speaking and that's what they called it the juice the juice mm -hmm. yeah. 
it didn't really help with the jitters, but I mean, it, it helped mentally. It didn't really completely help otherwise, but yeah. Yeah. It, one of the things I wanted to call out too, is that, um, you know, you quote, well, you quote a favorite author of mine who happens to be a Christian and who's written great books about a lot of things. Uh, um, Anne Lamott. Oh yes. Talk about the help. How does it go? Um, help. Thanks. Wow. And then yes. you put that in different terms. I wonder, it seems like that if I had to boil down a big chunk of your, you know, spiritual practice and the how to move forward in the world right now, it might boil down to that. And I think that's what you, I think you even call that out. Can you just talk a little bit about that from your perspective? Yeah. Um, so Annie Lamott is a writer who has written about writing. She wrote a very famous book about writing that's called Bird by Bird. Um, and she's written a lot of books about spirituality and she's a recovering alcoholic. And um, she's very, um, she's she's irreverent and funny and full of wisdom. And so she wrote a slim little volume that's, called help thanks wow or I'm not never sure of the order of those three words but um they're the three essential prayers and um help is kind of obvious it's like asking for guidance um you know help me um which you know is so important i mean patients yeah don't know how to pray they don't know how to ask for help they don't i mean they're they may have had a lot of adverse experiences growing up that makes them allergic to prayer they associate it with you know oppressiveness in terms of their religious upbringing but i mean if you look around the world you know like all cultures have prayer in them and um and thanks is um gratitude, which, uh, again, all cultures around the world are, their spiritual practices include having gratitude. Um, and, uh, I mean, there's actual like research and, you know, studies that show that people who, you know, write down three things that they're grateful for every evening, are measurably more happy after three months than those who have not engaged in that practice. So it really does increase your level of well-being. And then the wow is kind of what we were talking about, the reverence, you know, and the amazement and um, the appreciation and the awe of the world. So, yeah, those, those are all um, like essential ingredients to um spiritual life yeah yeah and then if i remember right in your book you also kind of take it one step further by talking about those three components but then also like the the action you take right that inspired right there, right. there was some um, I, I talked about angelus arian who's one of my favorite um shamanic teachers i never had the honor of knowing her um in person but uh she i think she calls it the blessing way and it's she's a cultural anthropologist and she went around the world studying the spiritual practices of people all over the world cross-culturally and the three commonalities were prayer gratitude and the third was like sacred action you know like doing something like literally doing something that uh helps another person or increases the amount of beauty in the world or somehow uplifts, you know, that, that contributes to the good, but really to literally do something. And I encourage my patients, you know, like something good happens to them. I say, you know, pass it on, like make a donation, you know, like do something to express your gratitude. You circulate the energy, you know, you got some good juju coming to you. Now you pass it on. Um, yeah, and it's, it's very uplifting to do that when something good happens to you to make a donation, you know, like yeah. 
Yeah, and that's another place where I know that there have been uh, studies showing that you feel wealthier when you donate money and you feel like you have more time when you donate time. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's uh, paradoxical yeah. that that's the way it really works. But it, I think you you nailed it when you said, you know, the the circulation of energy, right? But it, that's something that's been really becoming more um, real to me is that if we're not flowing, if we're not letting our energy flow, then we're we're going to we're not going to feel very good. And that's there's lots of different ways to do it. Um, right. But like the, it's also important not to do it because it's like a transactional thing because you want more to come to you. Like it's important to do it just because it feels good and it's like the right thing and that you what you want to do and not like because you're hoping to have some kind of advantage from it. That then it doesn't work. Yeah. In other words, you can't manipulate life. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know that that I gosh. I, uh, yeah, I could talk about that. For, I've, I actually do talk about that in some of my other programs, but that is so true. Yeah. You, you can't have ulterior motives. Right. Yeah. Right. Just know that that's the kind of the laws of the universe and you're participating. Yes. Yeah. The part. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm just looking at the time and thinking there's so many more things in the book, but I want to make sure what else would you want to, um, what would you want to leave with that? You've actually, uh, I'll say one more thing that struck me is that your last page is kind of an invocation, you know, kind of like your intention of, you know, sending this book forward and what it, what you hope it does. And what else would you want to make sure that we talked about today? And then, and then if there's something more go for it. And then otherwise I'd love to talk about sort of that intention. Cause. Right. So, I mean, there's like psychiatry, like psychiatric diagnosis is supposed to be one of exclusion. So like, let's say a person is in chronic pain and therefore they've slept very poorly because they couldn't sleep due to the pain. And therefore they're forgetful and inattentive. Like it's inappropriate to diagnose attention deficit disorder. Like that's supposed to be something that's not due to something else. And very often patients get sent to psychiatrists because conventional medicine doesn't understand what's wrong with them. Like they've done all the conventional testing and it doesn't show anything. So therefore it's all in their head and they need to see a psychiatrist, you know, and that's very invalidating and it adds insult to injury. And there are things that I learned about from my mentor, Dr. Nathan, about treating mold toxicity and mast cell activation, which present as psychiatric symptoms, but are due to an underlying cause. And that it's just important to look at everything to see what could be contributing to this person feeling as they do. Like you can't leave anything out. Like it's, it has to be a holistic approach. You have to look at their diet. You have to look at their movement practices. You have to look at their relationships. You have to look at the way they are lonely or have, or don't have community. You have to see if there's some kind of environmentally acquired illness going on. It's can be very important to look at their astrology. If they're in the middle of some kind of you know, very intense Pluto transit, you know, it's, it's, it's just, you can't leave anything out if you want to really understand somebody and what's going on, you know, like otherwise, you know, something um, may not be addressed. That would be the key. Yeah. I mean, no, basically what you're saying is you have to look at the whole person. Yes. A holistic approach, which is so not, you know, the main... There's no time for that. There's no time for that. You know, like if you have a 15 minute appointment, there's no time for that. And doctors are as unhappy as the patients. The suicide rate of doctors is twice that of the general population. Everybody is in some way a victim of the system. Yeah. It's, you know, I've known naturopaths 
um, as well as medical doctors and their training makes them sick. Yes. So have a sick system training and then managing the people that are supposed to help you get well. Should we tell the audience about our amazing synchronicity? Yeah, let's do that. This is a great story. Let's do that. <laughs> you tell it, you tell it. Okay. So if actually, if, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you do, you've heard a little bit of my story. God, it's been over a year now, right? It's been September, over. September 5th was yeah. when my accident occurred. Of 2022. And so people have heard about mine, you know, coming down the stairs and tripping and breaking my foot and spraining my ankle. And uh, I think within like 12 hours, you did the exact same thing in your home, although you didn't sprain your ankle, but you broke the same foot bone, same foot, right? Left foot. Yes, left foot. Same yeah. foot. Yeah. Yeah. And then we ended up uh, we didn't know that right away. We both went kind of different ways in terms of how we addressed it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So could you pick up from there? So what, what would so you say? I, I did the conventional medical. I followed the conventional medical advice. I got x-rays. They said that I needed to have surgery. I had surgery. I was non-weight bearing for a couple of months. It was, it was really a very significant uh, disruption and injury. And um, I'm now... I would say 90 to 95% recovered. Sometimes my foot aches a little bit, but I'm fully functional and mobile. But it was a very big deal, but it's just so amazing that Christine had the exact same injury within like 12 hours of mine. Yeah. So we're somehow connected, you know, like on some kind of amazing level uh, through this very unusual synchronicity. Yeah. And I remember, you know, we, we looked at charts together, trying to sort it out. And the, the, the only trigger that I could find for me was Mars entering its retrograde shadow. Mm -hmm. So it, it had, it had hit, I think it was eight degrees of Gemini. Um, and if you know, medical astrology, Gemini rules the hands and the arms, but it opposes or it squares Pisces, which rules the feet. All right. So my Mars is at 13 Pisces. So that, you know, yeah, and, that I could see either. And Saturn, I think Saturn and Uranus were square. And I, yeah, so there was, that was interacting with my chart. But the other thing that's so interesting about this is that again, some of you listening will maybe remember this is that I did not go to the hospital. Um, I actually had, uh, I used homeopathic medicines, both to speed the healing and to manage the pain. I didn't use any um, other kind of painkillers, even though <laughs> that was pretty brutal. Um, and I had some herbal, some other herbal support. And I had a, a, a physician, a naturopathic physician friend of mine, lent me a boot. I think I used crutches once. I hated the crutches. And I did the same thing you did for a little while. I rolled around my apartment with my knee on a on a something I could slide on. But it's um, I find it fascinating that we had the exact same injury. We took completely different. Um, but you're also ninety percent recovered. Is that correct? Yeah, actually, or I would say almost. You know, I would say even more than that. That what still gives me well, with one caveat that I have a crooked foot bone. You have a straight crooked foot bone. Yeah, I and and uh, it hasn't given me any problems. I I snowshoed last winter after I healed enough. I hiked all summer. So when you see the crooked foot bone, the foot is actually you see like the bone sticking out in some kind of way. You could if you looked at the bottom of my foot because it's it's broken in a way that it's um it's I can't there's a you know like the there's a break is resting. Mm -hmm. on the bottom of the foot foot and then you could tell that like the, the little toe is a little bit shorter mm -hmm. but it's there's no pain i haven't had any discomfort with it since it finally got healed up the, the ankle was worse in some ways but even mm -hmm. that i have probably 90 i'd say 98 percent of the function because even doing yoga i have a hard time giving it having a problem so i'm happy with where i am even though i have a crooked foot bone you know? Yeah. yeah. So, but it's, it, yeah, it's, it's like, we're both kind of back to our new normal. Yeah. 
Yeah. And we took these circuitous routes to get there. And uh, it's just, uh, to me, it's fascinating. And it's it kind of goes back to what we talked about again at the beginning is that it's really, I think it's important. And, and this has been a hard lesson for me to learn to allow people to choose their path to right. heal. Right, right. And we're not all going to choose the same thing. I mean, you are a holistic provider and you still felt like the best care you could get was through the conventional system. Right. I thought that was what they excelled at. Yeah. Yeah. And in a lot of ways it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, the synchronicities are kind of amazing because what well, I think when we compared our charts, we didn't see anything really obvious. No, but it's just, it's just. That's such an unusual story. Yeah, it is. It is to have the same thing happen at the same time. Yeah. So is there, is there anything else you want to call in uh, or, or talk? There's so much in the book. And if this, you know, if the conversation has intrigued you as the listener, I highly recommend looking at it. Actually, I do. Have a, I have one last question for you. For the people who are listening who might be struggling and wanting this kind of help do they have to come just to you is there do you have an association of people that have this more holistic approach well just like you said you know like um i don't fit neatly into any category i don't really know anyone else who does functional medicine who does astrology who's interested in shamanism i who's a psychoanalyst i don't know anybody who um combines the same kinds of things. I mean, I can mention practitioners in those in various separate domains, right? But not somebody who puts it together who's a psychiatrist. Um, I don't know. Yeah, because I, I think, yeah, I mean, because your book has a lot of good information, how to get off medications, how to address certain kinds of conditions, how to, like I said, address relationship issues. But yeah, right. And um, I think that it's, you tell me, but I think it's quite readable. It's, it's, it's readable. Yeah. you know, it's not, it's not a dense book. It's, it's easily read. And you're, it's full of client stories as well as personal stories. And yeah, you do, you do a great job. I think even, even in the astrology, I love the astrology section where you did a sort of a primer on astrology. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's, you packed a lot into one book. You know, one of my favorite parts of the book is the astrology of my children. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, I really liked um, creating portraits of them like that. Yeah, and a lot of people, I think, you know, I get, I'm sh I don't know if you get these kinds of things too, but I get people coming to me trying to understand the relationship with their kids or with their parents, and, and it can be so helpful. Yes, yeah. yes. I mean, in the book, I don't really focus on the relationship, but more on like who they are. And, you know, there's this Channy Nichols has um, this book, like something like Astrology for Radical Self-Acceptance or something. And it just radical acceptance of others, you know, like yep. people are very different from one another and very different from yourself. And the more you can appreciate that, I think the better off everyone is. It is one of the gifts of astrology and especially as an astrologer looking at all these hundreds of charts and no two the same. Yeah. Even twin charts are a tiny bit different. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's, let's finish. Cause I, yeah, let's take a, let's finish now. And I want you to, if you could just maybe, talk a little bit about that invocation at the end because I thought that was a beautiful way to end your book and be a beautiful way to end our conversation no I don't really remember exactly except that I kind of had like this big wish that what I had written would be of help to the reader navigating these intense times of change that we're all experiencing and that it would provide different kinds of tools and perspectives and um, fortify each of us to meet these times in um, the most 
adaptive way. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking about. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. And you put plenty in there to do that too. Yeah. Thank you so much, Judy. This has been really a fun conversation and I it's yeah, I do highly recommend the book. I'm going to you sent me a, a a reading copy, but I'm going to go ahead and pre-order too. Well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for reading carefully and for um, being in conversation with me. It was wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I was so excited when I got your email um, that said you had a book. It's inspiring for those of us that are in the middle of books, too. And I was thinking, I have to say this one last thing for you, too, is that I was th I thought the other day, I thought, I'm glad Judy's publish is publishing her book before I finish mine because I want to quote it. <laughs> that's nice <laughs> thank you yeah, you're welcome thank you again for being here and i'll just i'll just remind everybody that um i will have the link to the book it's called sacred psychiatry and the can you tell me the subtitle again bridging bridging the personal and transpersonal to transform health and consciousness and you can find it on all the booksellers yeah and if you just if you just uh, search sacred psychiatry, you could always also get, I think, to your author page. Yes. Yes. Um, and and the introduction on the author page. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, yeah. And all those wonderful blurbs that you got from so many other people too. That's amazing. It's beautiful. Yeah. And then the other, uh, just the last announcement, I'll just remind you too, that if if you, um, if you'd like to join me on the solstice, this is one of my favorite, it's my favorite day, and it's one of my favorite events. And we do a little overview of the astrology. We do a lot of work on sort of discovering, discovering our intentions for 2024. And then the real, to me, kind of the heart of the retreat is a nice long yoga nidra practice which is guided relaxation where all you have to do is lie there and it's a way of anchoring your intention into yourself into your body and through the layers of your being and you the intention of the whole retreat is that you come out with some clarity on where you're going and a sense of deep rest and renewal because it is the darkest time of the year right the sun at least in the northern hemisphere the sun is at its lowest and it is a reset time. It's a reset. Sounds time. gorgeous. It's I've had really great feedback on it. I really love it. So, yeah. When is it? It's on the solstice itself. It starts at three uh, mountain time, so six five p.m. Eastern time. Is that Thursday? It's a Thursday. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and you can listen by recording if there's a better time for you afterwards too. So. Yeah. Yeah. If you're interested, well, you'll get my email. So uh, if you're interested, just join up. All right. Well, thank you again, Judy. This has been great. And I hope your book is just a smash hit because it deserves to be. Thank you so much, Christine. Yeah. All right. And thank you all for listening. And uh, I'm sure I'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>